December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode 41, and I am Aknet. <laughs> and I am Klaktu Verata Niktu. <laughs> I know I just screwed that up, but I'm just going to keep going. Just, just, just play it. Just keep going. <laughs> They're all too young to know it anyway. <laughs> So how's it going, everybody? Welcome to uh, welcome back to our little program. And uh, before we get straight on into the comics, uh, we have something to talk about, don't we, Mike? Yes, we do. We ha- we have to thank a listener of ours because he is uh, awesome. Awesome. Well, all of our listeners are awesome. Uh, Not all of them. There's that one guy right over there. That 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 dude. That that I don't like him. He keeps playing pocket pool every time we talk, which makes me feel really uncomfortable. And I don't, I don't even mind. I just don't like the look on his face. I'm gonna walk over there, and I'm just gonna. Oh, oh, sorry. I was just gonna. I was just thinking about going over there and just kicking his ass too. But (laughs) all right, I'm sorry. It's a terrible thing for me to say. But no, this guy actually sent us stuff, which uh, just goes to prove, folks, that if you send us stuff, we'll talk about you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Ain't no shame in it. <laughs> there's no shame in it. It's funny you bring that up because, I, you know, I used to say that, uh, you know, there was there was like three ra- three main reasons I got into podcasting. And I forgot what one of them was. And one of them was that I loved the sound of my voice. And the third reason was I wanted people to send me free shit. And there you go. It's self-fulfilling prophecy. It's awesome. But, uh, all right. So so which one of us is going to spill the beans on this? You, you go ahead. You, you want me ahead. to? Oh, all right. I will be happy to. Age before beauty. Now, uh, I, I do not know... If he wanted me to read the uh, the 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 very very kind note that was yes. attached to this, so I will not because I, I consider it very personal, 
and uh, and really directed to me. So it, it, unless he tells me otherwise, I will keep that to myself. But uh, what we have here is a copy of All Star Squadron number one, a beautiful copy, mind you, and it is signed on the cover to Scott Gardner, Rich Buckler. And I understand that uh, you have something similar in your possession, sir? Yeah, it says, to Scott Gardner, Rich Buckner. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, mine, I, I, uh, I received a similar package the day after you, which is really odd because you live in Florida and I live in Georgia. So you would think that something coming from New York City would get to me before it gets to you, but... Well, what it was was, see, um, he told me that I had something coming, and I said, well, you know Mike's going to fucking cry if you don't send him something, too. And he said, oh, yeah, I hadn't really... Wow. That's, no. <laughs> that's precious, <laughs> you asshole. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. You know, that is, you're, you're absolutely right, because you are much closer to, uh, to New York than I am. I mean, at, at least, what, nine hours, so... Yeah. That is, uh, that is pretty strange. Now... Now what is uh, what is, yours is by Buckler as well? Yeah, it says to Michael Bailey, Rich Buckler. Cool, cool. And then a phone I, number underwards. I was, I was like, what? <laughs> I, I had a when you know when he when I got this you know because I knew he had sent us both something, but he you know he he was purposely vague. He didn't want to spoil what it was or anything, but he was really excited. Uh, and when I got this, my, the first thing I thought was that. That he was sending me this with Buckler's autograph, and maybe he was sending you one that would be autographed by um, Thomas inside. But it was just, you know, I don't know why I thought that. I don't even know if, if Roy Thomas was at this thing or not. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Jose. I mean, I, I, I can never thank you enough because this this is really cool. This definitely gets a, a place of honor uh, in my collection because I am a huge rich buckler fan as i've said many many times and i sh- i'm sure i'll well, say it many many more times so that's kind of the cool thing about having this is now i have two copies of all-star squadron number one one is signed by roy thomas and the oh. other is signed by rich buckler because roy thomas came to one of the one day comic shows uh that we go to or we used to go to uh he came to one like years and years and years ago and I specifically went to that show because he was going to be there and I got him to sign my uh, All-Star Companion Volume 1, All-Star Squadron Number 1 and the Young All-Stars 11 and 12 which had the Hugo Danner story. Yeah. So, did, did you talk about when we when we started uh, All-Star Squad and covered Number 1 did you say that yours was signed I think, by? I believe I did. I believe Okay, I did. yeah. Let's see. I, my memory sucks. Yes, so. <laughs> mine's getting that way too so <laughs> don't feel too bad. Oh, before we go on I just I, I must point out that it's got to be like 300 fucking degrees in this room. So if you guys <laughs> just suddenly hear this like sound, it's because I've just literally burst into flames. <laughs> God damn, is it hot in here? <laughs> Moved to Florida, man. Though it man. was it was it was hot today. I, I don't mean to peel the curtain back too far, but you remember when you lived in Georgia that around October is when you could kind of freaking relax about thunderstorms. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like six thirty this morning, and I hear rumbling, and my eyes open. And just as I'm about to say, is that thunder, this huge clap of thunder, like, shakes the freaking house. And I'm like, damn it. 
and uh, apparently Rachel thought she heard it. I didn't hear it, but apparently the tornado sirens were going off, and it was just this this two three hour storm that just blew through this area. And I'm like, it's freaking October. I'm supposed to be done with this crap. It's supposed to be getting cold and getting rid of this goddamn ragweed. I tell you what, I definitely do not miss living in Tornado Alley, that's for sure. Because, yeah, I know exactly the kind of storms that you're talking about where you were like, hmm, I didn't know the apocalypse was scheduled for this week. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, and it always starts with, like, the little rumble, and then the hand, you know, God smacks you. I mean, seriously, there were some of those storms I would not have been surprised to open my front door and hear Ride of the Valkyrie blaring (laughs) along with the storm because it was like, Jesus Christ, what is happening out there? <laughs> Somebody's pissed. You open up your refrigerator. There is no Dana. <laughs> so. What a lovely singing voice you must have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can tell we're just itching to dig into this issue, can't yes. you? <laughs> is it? Isn't it obvious? It's not that. Well, yeah, it is. But it is. Yeah, it is. Artistically, it's great. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, if it wasn't for the art, um, if it weren't for the art, there'd be no art at all. Yeah, it's... I cannot believe I just fucking referenced Hee Haw of all things in the world to reference, but I was wondering there you what go. you were referencing, and now I'm... I'm, I'm really Ashamed. And, uh, <laughs> I, I want someone to hold me and tell me everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Frankly, sir, I'm ashamed to be your friend. <laughs> I, I don't remember much of Hee Haw, thankfully. So, was that a show your dad watched? My, you know, I, yeah, I wa- and I don't understand why either. You know, it's. I, I guess the only thing you can really blame it on is once again, it was back in those days where you know you watched shit like that because you know what there yeah, was like maybe two channels. other channels if you were goddamn lucky, you know. So. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of shows, if you look back at, you know, so-called classic television, that the only reason that everybody in the world remembers them is because what what the hell else were you going to watch, you know? Like, like, come on, let's face it, Gilligan's Island. If that yeah. show was on today, pff, who'd watch that show? I thought that was Lost. <laughs> Essentially. I never watched Lost, so I feel bad making that joke. because No, don't feel bad. <laughs> And you know what? I know I'm going to get letters on this, so you know what? Save save yourself the typing or, or whatever. Don't 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 write in about this. But uh, you know, I, I, another good friend of ours the other day was saying something about you know I think I'm going to wa- end up watching Law. I'm going to go ahead and watch Lost now that it's. And I was like, don't, dude, don't waste your time. I, I tell you, I go ahead and I'll spoil it for you right now. It was not worth it. I watched that goddamn show from beginning to end. Every week, I was faithful. I was a devotee, got all the way to the end, and it was like... And I was like, nah, fuck, you know? (laughs) Fuck! (laughs) So, yeah. Lost, not worth the effort. Not worth my time. I want a refund, J.J. Abrams. So, anyway, um, oh, yeah, the All-Stars. I'm sorry. Kay Vaughn and Jeff Loeb and <laughs> there's a long list of people that owe you an apology. You're you're like Olive Oil's dad in the Popeye movie. You owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. No, it's more like that that scene of uh, Clerks the animated series where they where uh, Randall kept calling like uh, like uh, 
George Lucas to the stand and, and demanded his eight bucks back for Phantom Menace and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I remember he called uh, Spielberg back and wanted his money back for Hook, which kind of pissed me off because I like Hook. But yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, Hook's a great movie. What are it you talking about? Movie. And a great score. Yes. Because yes. if you're going to get music of a guy flying, eh, get John Williams. He had a pretty good run with that. Uh, and there's silence. Okay, very good. It, it, I'm, 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 I'm just sitting here. I'm debating with myself because it's like I'm having more fun with the tangent that I know that I'm going to have with the issue. But it's like, you know, it's like when you know you got to go to work and it's like. Oh, you mean you like know? tomorrow when I got to go in on my day off to help another store clean up? <sighs> now, it. Is this like where they looked for volunteers or... No, this is where you got to send somebody from your store and it was my day off and I'm the only manager available. So why didn't you just tell them to fuck off? Because I need a job and I'm sure they're looking yeah. for reasons to fire people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and this... and this, Yeah, that's that's very... I can see that actually. So... In, in, in this economy and the way things are, yeah, it's not like the old days where you can be like, fuck that shit. Yeah, I know what you mean. You, you kind of... Kind of bite the bullet. You do, yeah. You really do. It's it's you not... Get up at, at 5 o'clock in the morning so you can be out of the door by 6 so you can drive to freaking Douglasville. So... <laughs> Man. I feel for you, brother. I'll be on uh, 20 tomorrow. <laughs> drive by Carrollton. Wave. <laughs> Out there. I'll wave to hope. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, what do you think? Let's get... Uh, I guess we're going to have to get into Oh, man. You're doing the synopsis, so there you go. I am? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm just... I was about to say, I, no, I'm kidding. I've got <laughs> I was about to say, Beffer. I... <laughs> <laughs> I told you a week ago. No, I, I, I did the last one. So I love to do that. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. I've got one ready. All right, so here we go. <clears throat> can you can you tell this is going to be just an, a, a big old hunk of awesome already? We're so excited to get into this issue. Yes. So this is All Star Squadron number eleven, the uh, July nineteen eighty two issue. Original cover price sixty cents. It features an ugly cover by Joe Kubert. Uh, the uh, writer on this one is Roy Thomas. Artists are Adrian Gonzalez and Jerry. Ordway. Letterer, Ben Oda. Colorist, Carl Gafford. Editor, Len Wein. The uh, title of the story is Star Smasher's Secret, which actually sounds pretty cool. Alright, so we pick up precisely... Yes, sounds pretty cool. You be the judge of whether it actually is. So we pick up at precisely where we left off last issue with a pink-skinned, bug-eyed alien named Aknet telling the All-Stars and the world that he has come for the second planet... Uh, wait a minute, I'm sorry. That he has come from the second planet of the star we call Proxima Centauri as a representative for the Binary Brotherhood and that they are taken over. Johnny Quick wants to go belt the guy, but Liberty Bell persuades him to hear Akna out. The alien proceeds to explain that his people have been observing humanity and they don't much care for our warring ways, and they've come to put a stop to it. Within 24 hours, the world leaders can either turn the planet over to him or the Earth will be totally annihilated, which, you know, that'd kind of suck. 
So tired of standing around and listening to Aknet threaten everybody, select all-stars rush into battle, but the alien takes them all out with a mere wave of his arm. He then proceeds to try to uh, make off into the sky and his flying eyeball ship with Hawk Girl and Commander Steel, but Adam and Liberty Bell clamp onto him. The added weight is enough to bring him back down, and he engages in battles with the other all-stars while his ship beams up the unconscious heroes. Finally, having defeated all of his attackers, including the army men stationed around the White House, Aknet departs. In total, he absconded with Hawk Girl. Who the hell is CS? Because I abbreviated everybody's names. Commander Steel. Commander Steel, thank you. Robot Man. And the Atom. Army Air Force fighter planes arrive in time to try to prevent the eyeball ship's escape, but they are readily defeated too. The eyeball ship then proceeds to travel the world and is witnessed by frightened humans all across the globe, from Britain to France to Germany. Ocknet pays a visit to kindly old Uncle Adolf, uh, as well as eventually Stalin, uh, Chai Kai Shek, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, of China, Mussolini, and Tojo, delivering to, the, to all of them the same ultimatum surrender or die. Later, in a, wife, in a White House conference room, the remaining All-Stars, Firebrand, Shining Knight, Johnny Quick, and Liberty Bell, along with FDR and Churchill, listen to General George C. Marshall's briefing. It seems that the Axis powers have agreed to a common defense strategy against the alien if the Allies will recognize the status quo as it currently exists in Europe and the Pacific. We are treated to a whole lot of talking and heroic bluster. But it isn't until Liberty Bell pro- proclaims that she uh, just isn't totally buying this whole alien thing that the story actually starts to move forward. The group suddenly hears gunshots outside, and upon investigation, they realize that it's their old buddy Hawkman come to, uh, for a visit, and they order the uh, soldiers to cease fire. Hawkman has come to them with a startling story. He tells of his encounter with Ocknet's ship in San Francisco. This happened last issue and the dead man that fell uh, out of the sky, out of the ship. And it turns out Hawkman did know this guy after all. He was Garrett Owens, a biochemist that disappeared in 1933. Elsewhere inside the eyeball ship, Hawk Girl and the Atom awake and snoop around the interior a bit. Hawk Girl relates to Adam the origin of her new helmet and tells of this mysterious glass-bladed dagger that she was compelled to almost subconsciously swipe from Hawkman's collection. Adam uses the knife uh, to pry his, uh, his way past a door and deeper into the ship. Meanwhile, the All-Stars are in Pennsylvania to investigate the estate of world-renowned mathematician Elwood P. Napier. Napier is on a list, compiled by Johnny Quick, of eggheads who've gone missing in the last decade or so. The group breaks into the seemingly deserted estate and finds photos linking Napier to many of the other missing scientists. Back in the skyship, Adam and Hawkgirl find Aknet and attack him, easily taking the alien down. And small wonder, turns out that somebody has been watching a whole lot of classic Star Trek, specifically the episode The Corbomite Maneuver, in which we learn that the big scary alien named Blaylock is actually just a puppet. It's the same exact deal here. Aknet is a fake. He's just a puppet. Uh, proceeding deeper into the ship, the Adam and Hawk Girl come across the requisite glass tubes holding the good guys part of the story, where we find amongst the missing scientists 
They're pals, Commander Steel and Robot Man. Hawkgirl speculates that the two heroes were kept because of their own scientific backgrounds, prompting the Atom to remark, looks like somebody discarded you and me as the runts of the litter. A voice informs the Atom that he is essentially correct, and at last we meet the villain of the piece, a dude that looks a hell of a lot to me like Jimmy Olsen's father. <laughs> but it is actually, uh, in fact, Dr. Haster, the very first enemy Hawkman ever fought. And that is All-Star Comic, uh, excuse me, All-Star Squadron number 11. All righty, let's... Uh... Let's look into the All-Star Companion real quick to see what it has to say about this issue uh, before you get into your notes, which I'm <laughs> sure are extensive and talking about how awesome this uh, this story is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Um, Adolf Hitler is shown as in his East Prussian commander bunker called the Wolfslayer. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, the German word for it. Uh, rage against the failure of German forces to totally defeat the USSR since the June 22, 1941 invasion. Churchill refers to his famed blood, toil, sweat, and tears speech to the British House of Commons on May 13, 1940, often misquoted as simply, blood, sweat, and tears. Garrett Owens, the pioneer biochemist who is an early captive of Dr. Haster and a fatality is a wholly fictitious character created for the story arc. Dr. Elward Napier, the last scientist to be captured by Haster, debuted as a key character in All-Star Comics number 55 in, 19, in 1950, where the eminent physico-mathematician is called a close friend of the JSAers. Hmm. Dr. Haster was the first foe ever fought by Hawkman in Flash Comics number one. He was the reincarnation of the ancient Egyptian priest Hathset. The story is currently on view in DC's The Golden Age Hawkman Archives, Volume 1. And he's a snappy dresser, too. Oh, yes, he is. Um... General George C. Marshall, Marshall, U.S. Army Chief of Staff, seen at right in the photo in the book, briefs FDR, Churchill, and several All-Stars in issue 10. And why are they talking about it in issue 11? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I, I've, I've, I've dedicated myself to this one. So Marshall is credited as the architect of the much, much of the successful American victory strategy, but ironically is mostly remembered today because of the Marshall Plan of the late 1940s, which helped rebuild Western Europe. In truth, the Marshall Plan would largely be the brainchild of President Harry Truman. Hmm. Hawkgirl at one point confronts specimens of Hawkman's headgear that he'll wear between 1940 and 1948. This was a bit of fun on Roy Thomas's part, of course, as it was unlikely Carter Hall would have fashioned all of these masks by late 1941. For authentic reproductions of all models, see Volume 1 of this series, which is the All-Star Companion. On page 19, Hawkgirl muses on the simple yellow cow with the red Hulk sigil at far right, of which Hawkman is alleged to have said, the day I start wearing that one, you'll know I'm about ready to retire. Higher. Another in-joke, since he would don that mask and share a similar one for Flash Comics number 98 to 104, his final seven solo series, as well as <laughs> All-Star Comics 42 to 57. And that's uh, that's one to grow on. 
<laughs> or something like that. Something like that. <clears throat> so you want me to cover my notes? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Um, the cover, horrible as it is, kind of vaguely reminds me of the cover to Bizarre Sex number five. Yeah, you look it up. I'm not going to describe it here. I was about to say. <laughs> um, I'm going to give the uh, patented Scott Gardner one-word review on this issue. Meh. Meh. Yeah, that's pretty much what it comes to. The art, however, is truly fantastic. I really do like the art in this issue. It is the saving grace of the issue. Not that It's not like, you know... Thomas did a horrible job or because I don't want to be down on on Roy Thomas. I love no, Roy Thomas. It's just that the story's just not very good. You know, it's not it's not it's ter- not to my liking. Yeah, exactly. It's just not terribly entertaining. It's like, my my problem with this because I can actually remember my my reasons why I don't like this story go back to the first time I read the story. I had the same thought then as I still have now, which is is there not enough shit already going on? Now this alien guy's got to show up, you know? I mean, they're in the middle of friggin' World War II. I mean, you've got, you know, you can have the All-Stars go fight the Japanese. You can have them go fight the Nazis. You can go have them fight, you know, the Italians. You can have them, you know, do all kinds of They can fight Captain Nazi. They can fight uh, Baron Blitzkrieg. They can fight that big sumo wrestler-looking guy. And... You know, so you've got more than enough stuff on their plate already, and plus there's all these little stories that you could do about you know robot man feeling sorry for himself because he's a robot now. You know, all these different kind of stories you can do, and you bring in this stupid alien thing. And I'm like, you know, I just I don't give a shit about this alien guy. It, it's just I, I really don't like that aspect of it. You know, th- this would have been a perfect story, maybe. You know, if we'd gotten beyond the World War II stuff and then, you know, you need new threats and new new stories to tackle or something like that. But at this time, it just feels out of place. There's already too much stuff going on. Um, anyway, I see a lot, and I mean a lot, of Garcia Lopez influence in the art in this issue. And I'm looking specifically at page seven. Look at that second panel of, of Aknet looking back at the soldiers right there before he uses the force to make their guns explode. And damned if that doesn't look like a uh, Garcia Lopez drawing. And then directly beneath that, the uh, the fifth panel, again, that one looks very much like a Garcia Lopez uh, drawing as well. I, I I really like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if Gonzalez was consciously drawing, you know, in that Garcia Lopez style, but it's pretty awesome. It it definitely looks like that that style to me. I also love page 8, the the full page splash of uh, Aknet's eyeball ship taking out the uh the uh army air force planes and everything while uh shining knights on his horse trying not to get hit by falling planes. That's actually a really great panel. Page 15, jumping way on ahead. We have this one part here. Let me see if I can find where she says it exactly. Okay, the, it's when they hear the gunshots outside the White House and they decide to investigate. We got Johnny Quick says, I'll get the president and the PM to safety. Can you guys? And uh, Liberty Bell speaks up and she says, fast as a prairie brush fire, Mr. Q. And I'm thinking now, I thought she was supposed to be a New York City socialite. What the hell does she know about prairie brush fires? Oh, that was just a really common uh, expression back then. 
Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> I'm just making that up. <laughs> yeah, I would expect so. And um, that's that's pretty much the end of my notes as far as you know anything that's not about like the letters page or uh, or the ads or anything like that. I really don't. I really don't have anything else. Alrighty, um, I don't really have all that much either. And again, that's basically because. If I don't like a story from a writer that I really respect, I want to kind of just not really talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be seen or misrepresented as somebody that is just hating on it. Right. Because that's that's not what I want to do at all. Right. That's not my intention. That will never be my intention. Having said that... No, I'm just kidding. Um... (laughs) (laughs) The thing I don't like about this story boils down to the fact that it's essentially a Hawkman story. And while I don't hate Hawkman, Hawkman has never been one of my favorite DC characters in any of his incarnations. I have enjoyed stories with Hawkman in it. I liked it when they brought him back in you know, 2000, 2001, I thought that was kind of an interesting character to read about. However, in the Hawkman that I've read of the past, he's either kind of a douchebag or just really uninteresting. I I, I never... Or both. Or both. I've never glommed on to the Silver Age incarnation of Katar Hall. Uh, I appreciate the effort that went into it. I appreciate his place in DC mythology. But it's just not a character that I like. Just just not at all. And the Golden Age character just seemed to be the guy that was constantly yelling at his son in Infinity Incorporated. Right. So, uh, I understand he is a favorite character of Roy Thomas's, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate him wanting to tell a story where Hawkman and Hawkman's rogue gallery... I don't know if he really had that many villains beyond this, and someone's going to write in and tell me every single one of them. So I'll get that email that has about six or seven names. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, 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 it's just, it's something, it's a story that doesn't appeal to me about a character than it doesn't appeal to me. Having said that, I really like the artwork in this issue. I think Gonzalez and Ordway work very well together. Uh Gonzalez was a really smooth transition from Buckler, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of interesting that in the middle of World War II, this alien invasion thing starts happening, and right. even then, Hitler and the and the Axis powers are like, okay, we'll help, but only if you will agree to let us keep doing what we're doing after it's all over. And it's like, you know, that's rather not the point of this entire exercise. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like someone holding a gun to to your enemy's head. And it's like, okay, I'm going to talk, uh, you know, we and he's, the, guy, the guy's holding a gun on you too. And it's just like, well, we got to work together on this. Okay, but only if I get to win afterwards. I mean... The point is to bring us all together, and you're just missing... Did you not... Did you fail kindergarten? Is that it? <laughs> did you learn something about sharing or whatever crap they teach you in kindergarten that you immediately forget because having your own shit's always more interesting? Uh, 
but I kind of liked the Hawk Girl Adam thing at the end. I like seeing Adam being. Roy Thomas was the only one that could write the Adam as having a chip on his shoulder, and I didn't hate it. So, and and, and unfortunately, in all honesty, that's really all I got. <laughs> I feel really bad because we're supposed to be covering these, but um, yeah. I, I mean, I think we covered it fairly well. There, there's really, I mean, it, you know, it's the middle chapter. There's really not, I don't think, too much more to to really cover in it. I mean, it, it's not like there's a lot of historical yeah. notes for this particular one, and it's not like there's a whole lot of character development or anything like that. It's It, it kind of fleshes out a little bit more of what the threat is, and then, you know... Let's go kick its ass, and that's pretty much it. I mean, there's. I don't want to say there's not story progression because there is story progression. It's just not really the kind that you can, you know, sink your teeth it, into it, it and kinda, really. Uh huh. It, it kind of feels like the forward progression has stalled, not stopped, just slowed. Right. And that's kind of a problem for me, but I could be wrong. I've been wrong in the past. So. <laughs> now. Anyway. More than willing to point that out. So, <laughs> <laughs> on the uh, letters page, I like the last letter here. Um, proposes the idea of an all-star squadron Saturday morning TV show. And uh, wasn't there a rumor not too long ago of them doing some sort of JSA, like cartoon so. animated series or something like that? I so I, I know they, I know they appeared on Brave and the Bold. Hmm. Which was an interesting episode. Yeah, uh, I, I, I remember something about that. It was around the time that the Smallville episode per, uh, aired. Right. Yeah. So it could have been just it might have been wishful thinking, or it might be one of those things where they announce something because it looks good on paper at the time, and then it goes into development hell, and they never talk about it again. So you know, kind of like that Superman film. Oh wait, Zack Snyder's directing that. Okay, we're actually getting it. Very good then. <laughs> What do we got? I'll wait and see. What do we got on the uh, on the ads this time around? Well, let's see. We got the we got a nice uh, comics for collectors ad from Moondance Comics from Prattleboro, Vermont, that has All Star Squadron for one dollar and seventy five cents. <laughs> I think I paid less for it than that. Uh, boring. Yep. Bubble Yum ad. We got a dazzling doings from Dynamic DC. Where on sale April 8th is DC Comics Presents number 47, where Superman meets He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Go to an old episode of Back to the Bins to hear me talk about that. Hey, I was in uh, Toys R Us yesterday. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the Lex Luthor versus Skeletor? Uh, uh, it is sitting in the other room. Oh, cool. Yeah, I bought it. I bought both the He-Man and the Superman and the Skeletor and the... Uh, the um, Lex Luthor. Apparently, this year they are releasing Stratos and Hawkman, and Aquaman and Merman. <laughs> so they're okay. continuing with the line. That's kind of cool. Yeah, because uh, the, the same people that produce the DC uh, figures uh, produce the Masters of the Universe line. <laughs> so, oh, weird tangent. Guess what I found in Kroger today. What's that? DC Universe figures, the big ones. Oh, no way. 
it was like, wow, they had the Superboy one, so I'm hoping it's still there on Friday when I get paid so I can go get it. Is that the less- Connor Kent? Yeah. Oh, cool. In the original costume with the leather jacket. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. I, I have seen that one now that you mentioned that. Yeah. Like, That's- really excited. Because <laughs> I haven't seen it anywhere else except for, like, 30 bucks. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that rare. I'd have picked one up. No, it's, it, it, it was at Walmart for, like, six months when I wasn't buying anything. Oh, and I gotcha. As I had money to buy something, it went away. Oh, ain't it? It's always like that. <laughs> Hate that. Hate it. I always see everything I ever wanted in the world for cheap at Christmas time when, you know, you're supposed to be buying for other people, you know. You don't have the money to buy anything for yourself. That's when all the cool stuff shows up cheap. So we have a woman, Wonder Woman in book three of whatever that story was called that I can't see the name it's of. It's like Books of Eternity or yeah, something some, like that. This is Countdown to Chaos. It's got the second issue of Firestorm on it, this issue of All-Star Squadron, and a Jonah Hex cover where he's about to get branded, it looks <laughs> like. Yeah. Good issue? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> what do you host again? <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, we got triple flips. Still really haven't figured out what those are, even from the ad, which shows them. So I'm just going to keep moving on because I have no interest in continuing to talk about that. We have a warning to the dark forces of evil. Beware a powerful new alliance has been formed to combat you, and it debuts with a free 16-page preview pullout in this special issue of the New Teen Titans, on sale April 15th. Then they'll be coming your way every month in their own magazine. And this is Night Force, created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, together again for the first time. I am no longer passing that up when I see it in 50 cent bins. I've been passing it up for years, and and now I think I'm actually going to try to build a collection. Because there can't be that many issues. I think it only lasts like 12 or 13 issues. So I'm going to pick that up and then... Uh, yeah, it's like 14. It I, I, I picked them all up at a 50% off sale at Titan oh, okay. years ago. So. Now, do you know the other uh, historically significant thing about that particular issue? Isn't that the first appearance of Brother Blood? It is. There's another one. Okay. There's actually another char- another Titans character whose first appearance is in there. I'm trying to remember who it is, and I can't off the top of my head remember who it is. It may be... Damn, I can't remember. But there's actually another really big, important first appearance in that. This is, technically speaking, where the Crisis on Infinite Earths starts. Because really? this is the first pre-crisis monitor appearance. Oh, that's right. In, uh, I in knew Titans that. 21. I just forgot. So, yeah. I suck. Under that is, and while we're on the subject, get ready to learn the secrets of the Mistress of Magic, Raven. As DC's most exciting miniseries, Tales of the New Teen Titans of All continues, courtesy of Marv Wolfman, Gene Colan, and Pablo Marcus. <laughs> I would not own that particular issue for many, many, many years, because I, I got one three and four but for some reason i didn't own that one for a long long time i just i never was into raven i i just never you know never uh got into that character you know was interested in her 
But at some point down the road, I found that in like a quarter bin or 50 cent bin. And I was like, yeah, what the hell? I got the other two issues and I got it and read it. I mean, you know, the art's fantastic and all that, but still just character does nothing for me. You know what I mean? I can understand that. Across from page 21, we have a half ad that says, proudly announcing the return of an annual tradition. Mm-hmm. As DC brings back a bunch of na- annuals, all new stories and art coming your way all summer long. And none of these covers match the cover that end up on the covers of those annuals. So I had the have... same note, yeah. I love some of the art that they show here, too, but you're right. Like, that's that Swamp, I mean, some of the art was used later on for other things, but, yeah, they aren't the covers of the actual annuals, that's for sure. And outside of a bodybuilding ad and a Willy Wonka ad, that is it. That build, bodybuilder guy wants you. Look how he's looking at you. I, I, no. He does, I'm telling you. You keep saying that. Would you stop saying that to <laughs> people in public? I would appreciate that. <laughs> Jerk. I'm sorry. No, you're not. You no, I'm not really. Petty amusement. I do, actually. All right. Going over to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics www.dcindexes.com Scott and I are hopping in Rip Hunter's time machine much, uh, very much against his will uh, but like we care what he thinks because <sighs> every time we get into the time machine it smells like sex and fear <laughs> why but um, this is not as an impressive of a month as we had last month to me cover wise yeah it's like, you know, I like the He-Man DC Comics Presents number 47 He-Man Superman thing. The um, the bra- the best of DC number 26 cover is kind of interesting. That's a Jim Aparo piece. Yeah, I was just looking at that. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like uh I, it's weird you got you've got Batman, Suicide Squad, Dead Man, uh what's the dude's name? Viking Prince, uh Silent Knight and Robin Hood. <laughs> it's like Robin Hood? Okay. Oh, that's kind of random. We also have DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number 23 with Green Arrow, where it has this picture of Green Arrow and Speedy, but breaking through that picture are Green Arrow and Black Canary. So this is the cover that tells you that Green Arrow has stopped being attracted to little boys and started dra- oh. uh, going out with women in wigs. <laughs> also a Jim Aparo cover. Yes. So thank you, Mr. Aparo, for letting us know of Ollie's change in lifestyles. <laughs> awesome. What do, you get? what do you got? Awesome cover on uh, Fury of Firestorm number two. I, I like that issue, too. Also, a fantastic uh, George Perez cover on, uh, just what is this, 204, Justice League of America 204, where they're fighting the, uh, uh, what you call them, the Royal Flush Gang. Yeah, I like that one. Cool cover on uh, Batman here, Batman 349. I remember buying this at like a, I say it was like Radio Shack or something like that. It was somewhere you wouldn't normally associate with selling comics when I was a kid. I got that issue. Church. I mean, it's just really weird. <laughs> good issue of Swamp Thing there where he fights uh, vampires. That's a really, really good issue. I always like that. It's- remember you guys talking about that one on uh, TTF. Yeah, I mean, of the pre-Alan Moore issues, that's probably my favorite one, actually. I really like that issue a lot. 
who is the artist on Superman? Is that? Yep, it is. It's Buckler on that. That's a neat cover right there. Even, yeah, even though it's got Vartox on it. Yeah. No, he's totally wearing Jean Grey's uh, outfit from the waist down, too. Action 533 has the uh, the cover proclaiming the Superman fighting high. Yeah, also by Buckler. That's aw- I love that cover, though. Yeah, that's a good story, too. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's interesting that Hive, which ended up being a Titans villain, started out as a Superman villain. So that's kind of cool. Got a really cool cover on Superman Family of Supergirl shrinking down as the Master Jailer watches her do so. That's the one I was talking... Remember last time I said, you know, I think I used to own this. That's the one that I had where she fights him in this issue and this one I actually do have. So I was just... I was a little confused. I like that Legion cover. That's a great issue, too. That is, uh, uh, that may actually have been the first issue um, that I bought off the rack of Legion as a kid, you know, during that uh, Levitz and, and Giffen run. Good, good stuff in that one. And really, the Superboy cover is kind of interesting. The World's Finest cover is kind of interesting. I like the, bat- the Detective Comics cover. Yeah. Well, let me see if I can do a dramatic reasoning <laughs> reading of this. Come on, Joey, let's get out of here. The Batman is nowhere around. Meanwhile, Joey is getting punched in the face through a mirror. <laughs> Ow! That's a Ross Andrew cover. I like that one. So, You've also got a Joe Cuber also ruining the cover of uh, House of Mystery with Eye Vampire. <laughs> That's a very Those, effective way of saying that, sir. Very good. I mean, they had such beautiful, beautiful covers on them by by Mike Kaluta, and then when you get to this era where they had the the Kubert covers, it's just like, oh, really? I, I just I don't I don't care for those at all. Well, that's all I got for these. Yeah, that's pretty much all I. Oh, that's mess. What's his name? Master Disaster or whatever the hell his name is. Major Disaster. Yeah. On the cover of uh, that world's finest, I just blew that up so I could look at it a little closer. That's he's grinning. <laughs> I just ate some cheese, Mister Carter. <laughs> Mister Carter, Mister Carter, over here, Mister Carter, up your nose with a rubber hose. But I'm I with you. That's that no, I didn't. Yeah, I, 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 uh, <laughs> you didn't like it. Though if I do uh, grow my hair out, I do end up kind of looking like Gabe Kaplan, which is why I keep it kind of shortened to the uh, short to the point with my hairstyle. So, But really, that's all I got. This was a this was a pretty uneventful episode. It was. It was. <laughs> I'm with you. Now do we uh, do we have time for some emails, you think? Or? Let's do two. Let's do two emails. That's all right. Alrighty, uh, got one from Stan Johnston, marked episode 31. It says, hi guys, I really enjoyed you... T- wow, episode 31, that was like 10 episodes ago. Yikes. <laughs> I really enjoyed you talking about your connection to the All-Star Squadron at the beginning of the podcast. I love this series, especially the first three or four years of it. Seems like I say this all the time, but it goes to my being an old fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember buying it off the spinner racks. I was struck by how different it was from everything else that was available at the time, and I love the fact that it was set in World War II era. I alone gave it that alone, excuse me, gave it its own identity. I remember thinking that All Star Squadron was as close as I was ever going to get to know what it was like to buy a comic in the 1940s. The music you used this episode was fantastic, very period, and it established the mood very effectively. Loved the new opening as well. I'm glad you mentioned Roy Thomas being historically accurate in his writing. I was curious about the Eagles-Redskins game he referenced in issue one, so I got my pro football encyclopedia off the shelf for some fact-checking. It was nice to find that Thomas had bothered to look the information up, especially considering that when he wrote the story, there was a much more involved in research than just clicking a few links on a web page. <laughs> That's a good point. This would have also been an easy thing to fudge, since the game could have been totally different, had a totally different outcome on Earth 2. I think you guys hit it on the head when you talked about the success of the series being partly due to the fact that of Roy's decisions to focus on the lesser-known characters. Mm-hmm. It, was excited for, it was exciting for me because it was almost like being in the ground floor of a new set of characters. They may have been around, around for years, but I was seeing many of them for the first time. In 1981, if they hadn't been featured in the JSA's All-Star Revival, I knew squat about them. It's good to find out that I'm not the only one who hit the dictionary to find out what the hell Sir Justin was talking about. Even in my mid-40s, I'm still learning shit from comic books. Later, <laughs> Stan. I love this email. <laughs> That's a good one. It is a good one. All right, let's see. Oh, the next one's super short. All right, next one is from David J. Dixon. He just uh, entitles his new listener. He says, Scott and Mike. Just found your podcast. Loved it. Been reading comics since 1971. The JSA, Invaders, Legion of Superheroes, and Captain America are my favorites. Big Earth 2 Robin fan. Too bad he did not have many appearances. With the many superhero movies out there today, uh, what would you think about a movie uh, about the World War II adventures of the JSA? I'd love Ah. I'd love it. I'd, I'd love to see it. I don't know. Oh, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it or anything. But given my druthers, if they were going to make uh, something about the JSA, I I think I'd really rather see them do, um, like uh, All Star Comics Revival era. You know, where okay. the, you know, the, like what we covered. You know, in the beginnings of this show. You know, where they came back and then you started to slowly introduce you know some of the legacy characters and stuff. That that's still. That's still my favorite stuff, you know, when it when it comes to the JSA, I think. So, but but I don't know. I mean, some of the stuff that we'll get into. See, it's hard asking this, que- you know, being put on the spot with this question after the, this particular issue that we just reviewed. <laughs> if I was a little bit more enthusiastic about this era right at the moment, then my my answer could be completely different. <laughs> no, I'd like to see it myself. I really would. All righty. Going to do a third one just because we have the time. That one was kind of short. This is from Michael Peacock. All new, all exciting listener. It's labeled as... I'm trying my damnedest to remember how I chanced upon the Two True Freaks website, which is sad since it only happened just last week. But am I ever glad I did? Scott, how much did you pay this guy? A lot. 
Okay. I've been looking for, uh, looking for a good while for a fun comics-based podcast to get back into. Now there's many shows I've yet to dip my toes in on the site. I've already sampled some of Back to the Bins. But the show that got me the most excited, and I'm making sure to not only follow regularly and catch up on the back episodes of, is Tales of the JSA. I admit I'm more of a recent comic collector. I was around for a few years before Crisis on Infinite Earths. Initially did away with all of the whole Earth 2 concept, but I didn't really start collecting until into my teens. And shamefully, and maybe not so much, admit a bulk of my buying was spent that. Admit a bulk of my collecting time was spent with Image Comics. Hey, being a budding teenager in the 90s basically forced you to become a drinker of the extreme Kool-Aid. <laughs> but as the years went... Oh, yes, I actually managed to avoid it somehow. With the, with, with the grace of God and Superman. Uh, but as the years went on, and I've had various on-and-off collecting runs, I've grown to side more with DC. Good man. Even to this day. And a group that surprised me about how they've grown on me in the past ten years or so was the JSA. Maybe it's because of the historical setting of the group. Maybe it's because I enjoy the nobler nature of the team's hero. And major, and maybe it could be basically solely on Power Girls' um, quote-unquote assets. Mm-hmm. But, ever since, but ever since I took a chance on the recent relaunch, I've been digging a lot of the JSA continuity. Now, before you scoff at how a newbie like me has no real say in the classic collecting classic stories, I was reading more about the recent adventures of the JSA that got me curious about checking out their older adventures and, and enjoying the hell out of them. As for the show's comments on the current state of comic, well, I admit I'm guilty of supporting it, but again, collecting comics in my prime was sort of the beginning of the big company nuttiness that drives you crazy. So maybe I'm just bemused in condition to the ebb and flow of the massive arc to the massive arc. I can also appreciate the storytelling of the 70s and 80s books, back when they could tell a larger story, but not have to bilk you for multiple title crossovers. I recall also your talks of the JSA run in Adventure Comics, and that made me a bit nostalgia for a good-sized anthology title. I'd rather miss the days where companies could just come up with a thickish book featuring stars not normally featured in a full title, uh, full-size title. Excuse me. I probably feel a bit less cheated with my hard-earned dollars. I'll conclude this amazing rambling with a few minor notes. Again, Scott and Mike, thank you for putting out for one of my uh, putting out one of my favorite shows. Batman versus Jesus needs to be a trade. <laughs> and for those that grumble whenever they think of Jeff Johns with the JSA, look at it this way. At least it's not Bill Willingham. Take it easy, Michael Peacock. <laughs> I like this email, too. <laughs> he brings up some good points. Well, sadly, All-Star Squadron number 11 has not appeared any- has not been reprinted anywhere else. That sucks. What, the I'm, story or the fact that it didn't get <laughs> that it hasn't been reprinted but none of them have been reprinted that just that sucks thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey if you like this show check out Back to the Bins where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past you can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend, 
and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailey2.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. How they died for liberty Let's remember